Welcome to the Modern Therapist Guidance. Hey everyone, welcome to the Modern Therapist Guide to Nothing, where in each and every episode we take a topic, theme, or thing, overanalyze it, and make it all make sense in the scheme of life, living, and mental health. My name is Dave. I am joined here with my lovely co-host here, Greg. Greg, is it all right that I called you lovely? Yeah, no, it's it's great for my self-esteem. You're, and sometimes we all need that. We all need a little compliment here and there. You know, I saw it on your face that uh, you needed that little self-esteem boost. I needed a pick-me-up. But it's important that I don't get too up. And that is what we're talking about here today. Wow, in this, good segue. In this, in this big episode. Today, we're going to be talking about bipolar disorder. Yeah. Yeah, this is, this is a, Dave, we see this one all the time. And this is a tough one. So an overview of bipolar is that bipolar is essentially a condition that causes extreme mood swings. Emotional highs, what we call those mania and hypomania, which is like mania light. Emotional highs sound good, but, and and I, I think they can be sometimes, Dave, but they can also be dangerous and disruptive to, to our lives. And then there's also the element of the emotional lows, the se- severe depressive episodes. So it's, you know, that's why we call it bipolar, right? Okay, everybody, and have a great night. Uh, <laughs> so we wrapping up that episode right there. Oh, there's a, more. Oh, you want? Sometimes I go a little far with the overviews. So, all right, let's let's break it down, right? So, this- Greg, for for people who feel like suddenly the word bipolar is everywhere, more recently as opposed to in previous years, I think it's important to recognize that. Uh, it, bipolar was actually changed from the diagnosis manic depressive, uh, which was in the DSM three, the the Bible of mental health, as Greg and I will sometimes refer to it. Um, Bless you. So in 1980, uh, it was changed to bipolar disorder. Correct. Right, and I don't know why it seemed like either one kind of makes sense. Manic depressive certainly makes sense, uh, but it's the thing is, it's more than that. You know, it's not just manic depressive. There's so much, there's so much more to it, even though those two are the defining elements. It almost, it's funny because manic depressive almost like oversimplifies it, but then at the same time sounds really like (laughs) on the nose it's, it's, but like too much. It's almost like I can, I would not want to go around telling people, oh, I have manic depressive. I, I don't know. There's like the stigma that I feel like that, that phrase would carry versus bipolar, which has its own stigma for sort of good reasons because it is a very serious diagnosis if people don't get treatment for it. Right. So let's talk about it. Let's talk about the mania and well yeah. let's start there. Let's talk about because that's sort of the defining characteristic of it. Sure. Because depressive we're going to see um that that's that's a standalone, but if you add the mania, like what are we talking about here when we say mania? All right, sure. So mania will the person will feel maybe high energy, um they might have excessive talking uh, racing thoughts, feelings of euphoria. So feeling just like really great on top of the world, uh, might have less need for sleep and increased sex drive. Uh, they may begin to engage in risky behavior. So, you know, overspending, um, you know, sexual encounters, dangerous behaviors, anything risky. Some cases they also may have psychotic symptoms such as like grandiosity, uh, delusions and hallucinations. Right. Yes. So mania, 
um, can certainly lead to psychosis if left unchecked and gets too elevated. And the mania is dangerous because this, this is actually when bipolar is most dangerous because mania is you're suffering, but this is where you're least likely to get help because it's that thing that we talked about before, Dave, where it's egocentric, meaning you don't feel like anything's wrong when you're, when you're, you know, making these decisions and having this risky behavior. Absolutely. You're, you're nailing it, Greg, because from the people that I've talked to when they're having a manic episode, it's actually like desirable. Right. A lot of them will talk about productivity. Like yeah, definitely. I got so much done this past weekend. I was up till four in the morning cleaning. I did all these things. It's almost like uh, something to have pride over. And I think that pride is like, it's because of the juxtaposition of the depressive episode right. that can somewhat follow for some of them. So it's like, I'm going to take advantage of this while I have it. Right. So, yeah. So it's not always this euphoric thing. Sometimes you could be angry and irritable too. And that might draw someone into your help. But the, the thing you're, you're saying is true where it's, you're going to find the bipolar patients coming in most of the time when they're in the depressive states. And unfortunately that's a lot of the time, like a a manic state. I mean, at the longest, it's going to last about a week. You know, I have had a couple of encounters, though, with patients who came in because their manic episode got them hospitalized. Well, yeah. So that's so I've had someone, too. And, and he's actually said I have someone that's very specific in mind. And he said something that stuck with me. And he said, when after he, part of what makes it depressing for him is he told me that, you know, after this, is, he comes down from a manic episode and the dust settles he realized that when he's in that episode, he can't trust his own reactions. And for us, you know how important that is where we, we will oftentimes tell people there's nothing in this world that you can control. Like oh, anything can happen to you. And the only thing you get to decide is how you react to it. And if someone's feeling like they, they don't have any control over their own reactions, that's kind of scary. So we kind of have to tell them like, look, you got to zoom out a little bit. You do have control over your reactions. How are you going to react to this D- disorder like how what are the ways we're going to treat it what are we what are we going to do about this manic episode how are we going to identify when it's coming yeah and so i think another part of these manic episodes that can be problematic is how it can interfere with relationships with people right yes so i mean we're talking about some of like the psychotic symptoms that come along but like that grandiosity that or like another symptom of mania is also like this overconfidence that they might feel so, yeah, and so in, in case people aren't sure what grandiosity is, it's, it's like a false or unusual idea about our own greatness. Like we yeah. think we're really something and we can do anything, you know? So, you know, I've uh, worked with individuals who lost their jobs, lost friendships and, you know, had strained relationships with family members because of their attitudes and their interactions during manic episodes. Yeah. You can mess a lot of things up in a week. Yes. You can get a lot of things done. But you can also undo a lot of things. Wow. That's like a, it's actually like a really powerful like statement about bipolar. You can right. no, it's mess true. up a lot of things in a week because, you know, it's so funny. It's like for most of us, a week is such a short amount of time. But for someone who's in a manic state, it's, it's a, imagine being in that state for a week. Yeah. Holy you're not crap. sleeping. It's hard to come out of. You might not want to come out of it. And we'll talk later about how people, how, what people, what creative, awesome things have come from bipolar disorder. And uh, unfortunately, we see 
a t- super high suicide rates with bipolar. Um, I, there's, there's one thing about mania that I'll add too. the average patient suffering from bipolar will have nine manic episodes throughout their whole lifetime. That sort of surprises me. Now we're going to talk obviously about, um, circumstances where things would be different, like maybe rapid cycling down so, later in the episode. But so, so Greg, you mentioned earlier about hypomania yeah, Can you, and it being like mania light. I don't know if I love that term because it's any type of mania isn't great mania. I think it's, yeah, one is definitely more an extreme version of it. Greg, could you describe hypomania? Yeah. So hypomania would be all those things you described, except that you're not going to have, you're not going to get near psychosis. You're not going to have any um, psychotic features. It's not going to be severe enough to cause any social or occupational problems. So it's, it's just, it's mania, but it's not quite reaching the height of a manic episode. The problem though, with people who have hypomania is they tend to spend a lot more time in depressive states than, so let's talk about the two separate things here. Let's talk about what's the difference between bipolar one and bipolar two. That way it'll make more sense when we start talking about hypomania and mania. Okay. With bipolar one, we have longer than one week of the manic episode, right? So it's one week or longer. I should, I should frame it that way. And as you pointed out to me prior to us recording, unless there's a hospitalization being required and that can be any amount of time. Right. So if it's, even if it's shorter, it yeah, like count. if it's like an hour and you're like to the point where you need to be hospitalized, then that's going to count as a manic episode. All right. So it's a manic episode lasting a week or longer, unless hospitalization for bipolar one as well as a depressive episode, which we'll describe what the depressive episodes look like later. Right. Um, and then for bipolar two, it's at least one hypomania episode, which, which lasts for at least four days and one depressive episode in a year. Right. So then we explained what hypomania is. And I, you know, I should, you're right. I shouldn't say it's like bipolar light because it does it because of that exact reason. It does seem like they spend a lot more time in, depressive states which the, is the other oh. part of it is it must be hard to identify hypomania sometimes cuz like it, for some people if if you've had those episodes and it's not to the point of being manic I, I don't know it must be hard to capture like well what is that am i just is well, it something seasonal am i like i'm under what makes people understand like oh this is happening to me or is it because of the depressive episodes that they even identify in the first place most likely right and, and even as a therapist, that might be tricky because you might be starting to think if you see a hypomanic episode coming on, you might think like, oh, this is good news. Like this person's starting to get better, yeah. but it's going to be like irritability and anger. And it, it looks like that a lot of the time. And, you know, even with bipolar one, it doesn't even have to always, always come all the way down into a depressive state. You can bounce back from mania to hypomania into bipolar one. And, and that's a tough thing too. And that kind of leads us to a really, oh, well, should we talk about the depressive states first? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So what, what do we got when we're talking about that? I mean, the, the main things that I seem to understand about the depressive state for someone who's bipolar is first of all, that they, they are actually a little bit deeper of a depression than what someone who just is, has like uh major depressive orders, depression yes. look like they are intense feelings of sadness, despair, and often have suicidal ideation hopelessness. It's, it's really dark and it's what makes it really hard to, it's like, there's no reason at all. 
So for the most part, this feels like a very biological disorder. And we'll talk about maybe how it could be environmental on, on some level, but it's, that's what makes it so hard. It's, it's like, you're going to this deep sadness and coming out of it into this mana mania, but for no real reason. Yeah. Like you, it's just almost like on a clock. Now there could be triggers. Sure. And you could start to feel it. Yeah. But, um, you really have to get in touch with your body to start to be able to identify when that is. Yes. And you're, we'll get into that when we talk about treatment, actually. I'll hold off on commenting on about that for now. Well, let's talk about mixed episodes. Sure. Because this is something that scares the shit out of me, to be honest. <laughs> I, I mean, I'm, I, I'm, I'm serious. Like, when you think of a mixed episode, that means you could be having a depressive episode and a manic episode almost simultaneously. Hmm. And, you know, so you're just racing thoughts and, and having little energy. And, but, but imagine this, Dave. Like, imagine the worst of the depressive states suicidal ideation and you and you pair that and you mix that up with impulsivity that's not good no no not at all so that's what scares me with with the mixed episodes you might have this stat and maybe i hope i don't get it wrong but i think it was like there's a 15 percent suicide like completion rate for individuals who have bipolar that have attempted suicide which is rather high yeah, I, I mean, it is incredibly high and it, it's just below that of psychotic disorders. Like it, it's actually that 25 to 60% of individuals with bipolar will attempt suicide. Wow. And four to 19% will complete it. That's the highest mortality rate as far as suicide goes. But did you know that the actual highest mortality rate for any mental, mental illness is anorexia nervosa, which is, I mean, that's, that's, that's not, that's without suicide. It's just a deadly, deadly disease, but we're not talking about that right now. And, and we will down the road. I think, I think you nailed it with the impulsivity being one of the bigger issues. If, if you're having suicidal ideation and you're not super impulsive, you might have the opportunity to remember your why to weigh the pros and cons to rationalize your thoughts or even just to kind of sit there and let it, you know, ride it out a little bit and kind of like tell yourself I can get through this. Yeah. Like you might, if you're in that low of a depression and it's depression only, you might not even have the energy to even think about sure. like, so, you know, it, but with this, it's like the energy and the impulsivity match that with the, the hopelessness and the despair. And that's a, it's a bad combination. I think that risky behavior is a part of the mania. Mm-hmm is a scary thing to you match that with suicidal ideation. And it's like, it's, it's hard to know what that person might just decide to do at any point in time. Uh, right. And, you know, hopefully we're seeing them at that time and hopefully they're reaching out and hopefully we've gotten a good enough of a relationship where we can kind of intervene. And then there's rapid cycling, Dave, which is also pretty scary. What's that about? It, you know, it's, it's crazy because it seems like a rather low number, but for it's say that. So, four or more episodes in a year. So it's four or more manic and depressive episodes. Combined. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that does seem like a low number, but if you think about if an average person with bipolar one, like the heavy duty, yeah. if they have nine manic episodes in their entire life on average, and they've then had you're, four in a year, four in a year is a lot. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was saying. When I first heard the number, I was thinking about, I was like, that doesn't sound like that many, but then I'm like, that could be three manic episodes and one depressive episode, which is a lot. That could be three very long depressive episodes. Like the depressive episodes could be long. 
they usually are longer than mania. Yeah. Yeah. And it's so it's, it, we're talking about longer than a week. It could be a couple weeks. Oof. Okay. So we're really kind of bumming ourselves out here and that's okay. <laughs> yeah. But I think it might be time to start talking about treatments or do you want to talk about where this thing's coming from? I think or? it would be really important for us to tell everybody what causes it. Greg, okay. go ahead and go ahead and answer that question. What causes bipolar? Well, you know, that's the thing. No one really knows. Yeah. Like it's, it's all right. All right, Greg, you know what? I was <laughs> just messing around. Let's change the question. Can you actually tell us why um, treatment works for bipolar? <laughs> well, I can tell you what treatment works for me. I, you know, I'm, I'm taking, I, I think that people are all going to lean on meds a lot for bipolar because it's sort of known as it's biological, right? That's where, that's for the most part what people are thinking. They think it's hereditary. They think it's biological. They think that you're predisposed to it. Um, is that the case? I don't know. It could it be environmental too. Well, I'm nobody sure. really knows, right? That's right. what you I'm know. kind of joking. I'm teasing you, making you answer questions that nobody has an answer to. But <laughs> well. there, so there's things that we do know, right? And there's things that even like amateurs like ourselves, Greg, <laughs> we <laughs> seem to to know or think we know. Um, and it's less about what causes it. It's less about why the treatment works. It's more about there are some factors that if you can identify, you can really work on getting self-aware, gaining self-awareness mm-hmm. and getting curbing things before they get to a point where you are unstable, right? Yeah. But it's hard work and it is a lot of self-awareness. So it's like, it's rather it's, challenging. It is biological, but also like the fact that it can be triggered by environmental stressors, like like my the patient I had that I was talking about today, he was, I don't know if he liked it, but he was talking about when every time Christmas comes around, he gets super upset. It's like this stressful time. And I told him maybe it's not bipolar disorder, it's North Polar disorder. But I mean, oh, I, got, I, <laughs> I got nothing on that. You're, you're like <laughs> the worst. Your dad jokes are the worst. <laughs> yeah. No, that's like sort of the same did he like, response. Did he give you like that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, he didn't even try to, to help me out with that one. No, I like, he, that, he, I like he, that guy. Yeah, no, he is. He's good. He'll let you know. Um, but I think, I think that this is a promise. There's promise in our field for this. I think within the next 10, 15 years, we're going to be able to handle this a lot better. I mean, it's not like you can take a, a blood test for any of this stuff. We're all on, on self-report. So it's all kind of different, but there are things that seem to be working and let's get into those things. Cause I think we need to, we've shed a light on how horrible this could be. Let's okay. kind of, you know, talk so, about, I mean, you said the first thing, so I guess we should go into what uh, parts of therapy can be helpful. Well, mm-hmm. should we talk to me about meds first? You want to just talk about the thing we have nothing to do with first? Yeah, like, just to get it out of the way. That you know? boring old thing, you know? Yeah, well, because you know what, Dave? Honestly, like, I don't love the idea of meds most of the time. Um, well, but although I simultaneously understand that they are necessary in a lot of cases. Uh, so bipolar is going to be a lifelong illness. And lithium has been a go-to since, like, the 70s. So any kind of mood stabilizers, antipsychotics, What's difficult with this, and people who are listening who have, who have bipolar are going to know, it tends to be a trial and error process where you're going to try different kinds of medications until you get the right one. Yeah. 
it's some are going to do- regulate dopamine. Like those are going to be your antipsychotics. There's going to be, be sometimes benzos, right? Benzodiazepines. Those are going to help be calming, but it is about finding the right mixture. And sometimes when you do find the right mixture, it only lasts, it only works for a little while. So it's difficult. So you want to talk about some therapy stuff? Well, I, I guess now that we're talking about medication, <laughs> you know, there is also this idea that when someone's in a manic episode and they go to the hospital, the treatment that they're going to get medication wise is going to be whatever's going to bring them down. Right. And that can be difficult because you don't want to bring them too far down. Right. Because Such then you're nice. getting them into that depressive zone and other things can obviously take place there. So that is like, they might use different medications than lithium uh, to do so. Uh, but you're right. The most common thing that I think we've historically known has been lithium. And it'll be interesting to see what the future brings when they get a better sense of what it is that, you know, in the brain is causing the bipolar and kind of how do they figure out different ways to treat that. Yeah. So I'm going to, sp- I think we should spend a little time in this area when we're talking about treatments, because there's, there's a, kind of a lot I got to say about this. And I want, and a lot, I want to hear from you on this too. I want to get your take on a lot of these things too. Um, so first of all, the meds, what they're doing is manipulating neurotransmitters. That's what therapy does too. So, I mean, if the environment can affect neurotransmitters and can change the brain chemistry to create a mental disorder, like couldn't our environmental factors or the therapy we do manipulate them back to where they should be? Do you kind of understand what I'm saying there? Like, so this is the work that I that I'll do with individuals. And I think this is what you're getting at is identifying the factors and the triggers, right? That we know historically might bring someone to a manic episode or might lead them into a depressive episode, and start to do the work of regaining stabilization, regaining balance and control, and rewiring the brain from there right is that right yeah so i guess i'm saying like if a bad environment can cause your neurotransmitters to be haywired to just be the chemical makeup of your brain to be wrong then why can't a a better environment change them back to where where they should be so i'm saying almost making an argument against medication even though i know because medication just doing the thing that therapy would do anyway but you but without the understanding the illness. All right. So I guess I sh- I'm trying to say is like trying to identify how you feel transitioning, transitioning into any mood shift. If you know what is going on, it's much less likely that it's going to be scary. You know, it's, it's like, think of like, if you're in your room and you hear like a, something scratching on the window and you're like freaked out for a second, and then you look and it's just a branch. Like, that's kind of what I'm thinking of. You're immediately more calm. If you know that this is a manic episode. Okay. So what have I done in the past? to calm myself from the manic episode. Like, what can I do? Like, what, what can I implement? You know, does that make any sense at all? Right. But the thing that I question though, is what makes that person want to change it when they're in the manic episode? Because as we talked about earlier, when you're in the manic episode, you don't necessarily seek treatment because you're like, oh man, this is awesome. That's a great point. Maybe, but maybe it's, it's a way of not letting the mania get into psychosis. You know, like if you feel yourself shifting to a manic episode, you would need to do the things that calm you like mindfulness. I don't know, watch movies, whatever the kind of things that calm you or the opposite. If you feel yourself getting depressed, you kind of got to do the things that would elevate you like exercise or, and you know, I hate, I hate saying exercise. Cause it's like, Oh yeah. Like, Oh, oh really? Is exercise good for you? Is that what you're saying, Greg? Like, I know that everyone knows that, but I think a big part of 
what messes the chemistry in your brain up with bipolar is the sleep disturbance of it all. Right. So exercise is going to, yeah, exercise is going to kind of help with that. Yeah. Tight sleep schedule for sure. Um, so, you know, one of the individuals I work with, their onset can come from excessive amounts of stress that they're taking on. Mm-hmm. And they had a relatively short manic episode a few months back, and we processed it. And in the processing, the first few questions I said were, what were some of the first signs that you were starting to go into the manic episode? Yeah. And they gave me a few early behaviors that they noticed. And it was great because we've been talking for a while. So, you know, this wasn't our first time chatting about it. And they were starting to become super self-aware. Like they were starting to pay attention way more to their own behaviors. And then when they were in it, they were like, oh yeah, I'm in it right now. Yeah. Uh, So, you know, our follow-up conversation was like, all right, what were those first early warning signs? What do you think caused in the first place? And they were like, oh, I was definitely under a lot of stress. I think that's what led it. Okay, great. What could we have done differently? What things could we have started to do when you first identified that you're under stress? And they said, maybe I could have taken a day out of work. Maybe I could have, you know, scheduled a little me relaxation time. I definitely should have avoided going out for some drinks uh, that night and, you know, that's, kind of that's exactly right. Throwing like off my sleep. Throwing yeah. off your sleep or even have going out for drinks throws off your mood. Like if you feel yourself getting going into a manic episode, maybe the last thing you want to do is have a drink because that can throw you. It reminds me sort of of diabetes. You know how people with diabetes, they really have to become in tune with their body. They have to know what it feels like when their sugar is low or high. It's that sort of idea. And as we're talking about this, maybe in a way that is great, a metaphor for you is I'm thinking of like a wolf man. You know, the wolf man. Oh, I know the wolf man. Yeah. So like he, it's almost like he's a metaphor for a bipolar because he know he knows his body. Like he knows that like when something's coming on and I need to put myself in a position where I'm protecting myself from myself. And it makes me think of when that guy said, you know, he, he's afraid of his own reactions. So that's sort of what Wolfman's doing. He's putting himself, chaining himself to a chair. I don't even know if that happens with Wolfman, but it, but that doesn't mean it's not bad. So like, here's the thing with bipolar. And now I'm thinking of an even better one. How about Teen Wolf? I was literally just going to say Teen Wolf. And that's like euphoria is him being awesome. Yeah. He goes to school. He's like got his varsity jacket on. He's twirling the ball on his finger. Uh, yeah. He loves him. And then in the end though, he has to decide to be himself. Yeah. Because Boof's gone. You know, he messed up the relationship with Boof, which I don't really understand why he was that concerned about that, but he was, and that that's what he wanted. And you know, I mean, he, Styles is like being Styles, but he was a great friend. You don't want to push him away, and he was pushing him away. Yeah. Styles is one of the greatest characters ever. Um, <laughs> this T-shirt says like, like I know, I know, away. yeah. But the the and you know what else is this? This movie may be about bipolar because the father has learned to manage it, and he and he does say like it's almost. Like there are uses to it. It is, it does make you special and it's not all bad. Like his father used it to scare the principal. Um, so there is use for it. It's just, you got to be able to control it. You got to be able to manage it. And if, if you remember correctly, the father learned how to manage it after almost getting shot, eating some chickens. I don't, I don't remember that part. Remember the principal said he was going <laughs> to shoot you something with the principal. He was going to shoot him. That's why he had the vendetta against Michael J. And here's the other thing. If like a parent with bipolar, like, like the father from Teen Wolf, he was sort of, I didn't know if you were going to get it. I didn't know if it skipped a generation. (laughs) So I didn't really bring it up. I didn't want to like invoke this thing for you. So I think that's a pretty good metaphor for it. Yeah. 
And, you know, something that we left out, our thoughts are obviously always going to play a huge role because after all, we're talking about moods here and you can't have a depressive mood or a manic mood without thoughts. You can't. So if we can kind of work on our thoughts and, and, you know, yeah. Let me, let me share a little bit of a story about one of my patients. One of the first ones I worked with who had a very clear issue because of their bipolar. Uh, So I'd mentioned like earlier about how it can ruin relationships and Mm -hmm. your employment. So he had a pretty large episode, which ended up getting him fired from a very good job. Like he was, he's well-educated. He was making a lot of money. He was working in this office. Very, very good job. And has this manic episode, ruins a bunch of relationships, but also gets fired in the process, loses his work, sends him down big time, right? When I'm seeing him, this is after it's already all kind of transpired, he is so low on himself. And seeing the damage that that did for him was so, so challenging to like, if that it's like that person wasn't, wasn't able to see what I saw sitting across from me. Right. So I saw all the potential in the world. Like I didn't know this person, the version of this person when he was got at the job, but I see the aftermath and I'm like, what is, this is a smart guy. He's sitting here challenging me. Like sitting across from me, I feel like, you know, I feel like I have to step up my game in order to talk to him. Yeah. And he's sitting here feeling worthless and like he's not going to be able to work because I don't know when this could happen again. And just thinking about that, it's like, wow, imagine having something that you're like, I don't know when that's going to happen again. And I'm so scared that it's going to ruin everything I have going for me. So I'm almost afraid to get back out there in the world. It's, I like that you're doing this. Dave, because we're not just reading what hypomania and mania and, and depressive states are. It's, it's how does this show up in people? And that's where you see the differences of bipolar. You know, I have a, like a student in, in college and going through it. And it, for them, it's like, this is very disruptive to, to their life, to their future and making, making their lives at a time where it should be, you know, living life in college, that should be fun. They should be having a blast, but they're, in this state and it's, it's really hard and it's really sad to see, but I don't only want to talk about the sadness about it because, and I, so it's like a delicate balance. Cause I, I don't want to talk about how good it could be too, because I don't want to encourage people to let their manic episodes go. But I mean, there can be, there's a balance, right? You do have to find a balance. Yeah. And I think with something, I don't know if we talked enough about it, but like sleep is sleep is hugely important. Like some people some researchers think that this is the main component. Manic can cause a lack of need for sleep. We know that. So when it's over, you can become depressed because you're exhausted. And depression can cause excessive or lack of sleep. Both can induce mania. Sleep is so important. So this is why I talked about before. This is why exercise becomes important because that's going to help you manage your sleep. And it's just, I want you to be able to say, if, you, if we're talking to you and you have bipolar, I want you to be able to say, I'm trying everything I can to fix this, to help myself with this. So I don't want to leave anything off the table. That's why I kind of harp on like sleep and exercise. Really? Like I know that sounds, but they're, they are important. So it's like mental health hygiene. What is, what is sleep and exercise help with? What do they help us manage our energy, our mood, our ability to just remain stable. So it sounds so basic, but those are the two components that are like the most important part of us just being stable individuals. If we're not exercising, we're pent up energy. We're like yeah. um, ruminating thoughts. We're 
actually, or complete lack of energy because we're not engaging in physical activity. So we're almost becoming lethargic. And if we're not sleeping, we're overtired. We're not able to manage and regulate our emotions. A a thousand percent. So if you're thinking about mania and hypomania in terms of like, do you remember those, that writing paper we used to have where it was a line on top and a line on bottom and then a line, little dotted line in the middle, right? Yeah, I hated that. Yeah, it's terrible. So imagine if you're writing letters, mania would be the the capital letters. They'd make it all the way to the top. And the top is mania and the bottom is depressive state. So that capital letter is hitting both of those. Psychosis is when you go up over and outside the lines just a little bit. Then you're in psychosis with mania. And the problem is too, if you get too low, you can reach psychosis from depression too. And if you want to see an illustration, if, if, if you're able to picture this in your mind, it's just the capital letters not quite making it to the top and not quite making it to the bottom. And that would be bipolar. I mean, yeah, bipolar too. Uh, probably would still make it to the problem. You still would get those depressive states and maybe you can get really depressive. But uh, I just think that's a good way of think of. I did hear actually that the depressive states of bipolar two can actually be worse than the depressive yeah, and more often one and more often. So yeah. that is something like, you know, we say bipolar two, we talk about, you know, hypomania is not being as severe as regular man- manic episodes, but I don't want to paint the picture that it's, any less disruptive because to this person, this is what they're experiencing. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're not comparing and saying, well, at least I'm not having this <laughs> manic episode. You know, <laughs> this is what, you know, Perce- our perspective and our perception is our own reality. Right. So- it's almost worse in a way because you, the manic manic episode, if, even if it reaches psychosis is still egocentric. It feels, it feels good. Probably. Yeah. That's when you hit the euphoria. Um, I, I guess what we're saying here is like understanding your disorder is what's important. And I think that everyone who has bipolar or any mental health disorder, they are the expert of their specific own disorder. So that's why we need their help in understanding, you know, what's going to make these moods shift. Like if you know, if you're going to go out and have a drink, like your friend, that that's going to make your mood go over the top. And maybe you need to think about that. Or maybe you feel like you haven't been getting enough sleep for the past few days. Like maybe you need to address that and and do what you can. Yeah. So, I mean, this all falls into something. I think you were kind of mentioning was emotional regulate regulation. Yes. So it's managing our own stress levels. It's fine. Like engaging in mindfulness or deep breathing or things that help, you know, balance and center us. And I know people are going to think that's kitschy when you say that mindfulness. And, and I think we were both one of those people. Yeah. Um, but I'll tell you what, if you practice it and you work on it, it's so useful to keep you. It might keep you out of that psychosis. And deep breathing is one of the most simple exercises a person can engage in, but one of the mo- quickest like, and most effective things when you're starting to escalate and you just do those deep breaths and you exhale for that longer exhale than you're mm-hmm. inhaling, you just immediately feel something. Even even box breathing, Dave, where you you breathe in your your nose for three seconds, you hold for three seconds, breathe out your mouth three seconds, hold for three seconds, and just do that cycle. That can be super effective too. It's just being aware of what you're doing, being aware that you're trying to calm yourself down. Yeah, I know we're going a little long on this, but I think this is a very important topic. You see this in pop culture for sure, right? I mean, who who are the so all right when we were talking before about how it could induce creativity and why some people wouldn't want to get away from it. You got to think about people like Charles Dickens, Beethoven, Brian Wilson, when he did pet sound. I mean, have you ever heard the album pet sounds? No, the beach boys guy. 
incredible stuff. Kurt Cobain. So there's a good example there yeah. of that. That's, that's an example that maybe we can use a little bit because it's, it's like, look at Kurt Cobain, look what he was able to do. Look what he was able to accomplish and look what the creativity and the inspiration for people, but also look about how dangerous that impulsivity and those depressive states can be. They can create beautiful things, but you have to be able to control them, you know, like Teen Wolf. Uh, Buzz, Buzz Aldrin. Ah, guys walking on the moon. Catherine Zeta-Jones. Wow. Entrapment. <laughs> trying to think of. <laughs> David Harbour, a.k.a. Hopper from Stranger Things. Really? Bipolar. This is helpful. Demi Lovato. Okay. Francis Ford Coppola. <laughs> the man who shares a birthday with me, Frank Sinatra. Okay, I can see that, actually. I know it. Yeah. Uh, my childhood idol, Jean-Claude Van Damme. This is... You could pack your fancy clothes. Shout out to my dad for watching Bloodsport with me when I was a child. Oh, dude, Kumite. Jimi Hendrix, Mariah Carey. So Jimi Hendrix too, another one passed. You know, so it's it's one of these things where it can be so, make you so incredibly creative and can be useful. So have have optimism for that. But also know that you have, like, you have too much of anything is dangerous. You have to manage it. Richard um, Dreyfuss. <sighs> another name on there. Mm. That guy, he healed bipolar with his looks alone. It's Mr. Just... Holland Opus right there, man. <laughs> no, oh, that's how I'm Bob? thinking. No, I was he... thinking of Richard Gere. Richard, Richard Dreyfuss is No, is Richard not... Dreyfuss. Is... We're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, yeah. I get that. I yeah. actually dressed up as Richard Dreyfuss for Halloween. Mr. Holland's Opus? That's what you were for Halloween? I was him in Jaws. but Oh, okay. I should have been him in What About Bob? Wasn't he a therapist? Yes, he was. Baby yes, he was. Baby, Baby steps. steps. <laughs> so there's a couple of good movies that I'll just I'll just kind of talk about here. Um, I don't know if you've ever seen them, Dave. If they're not horror movies, Silver Li- Silver Linings Playbook. Yes, Greg, I've seen Silver Linings Playbook. It's pretty good. It's got I a couple. Try to of, burn me, but you didn't. It's, it's got a couple of lookers in it too. You know, with Cooper and um, I don't know what's her name. Jennifer Lawrence. Yes, yes, yes. And then there is Infinitely Polar Bear, and that's actually a really sad, good movie. It's got that Hulk, which. You know, Mark Hulk Ruffalo, right? Yes. Which now that oh, I'm mentioning- Mark Ruffalo, not the actual Hulk. No, but Hulk is a good sort of mention Starring here. Lou Ferrigno. <laughs> but you see what I'm saying though? Like Hulk is another great metaphor for bipolar. Sure. You, don't you know, I, I mean, like he, you don't want to- Or just him. like an ex- intermittent explosive disorder. Well, I think bipolar for the purposes of this episode, Dave. And <laughs> I, I, I think- um, you know him. You wouldn't like him when he's manic, is what he says. Instead of <laughs> yeah, I always, I always love that part when he says that. <laughs> yeah, that's you know, it just fits so perfectly. But you know how useful it could be. Sometimes without Hulk, the world would end with the Avengers. But getting out of hand here. Some people, yeah. you know, he's destroying cars and relationships probably. And um, you know, this is another end, one where if you're working with someone younger, or maybe even someone you know, an, an adult, but they might really benefit from doing like the naming the end, like. The entity, as we talked about in the depression mm. episode, almost like externalizing it. Except, I mean, bipolar really kind of is part of who you are because it does define some of your personality and it feeds off of uh, certain, you know, personal triggers. But if you start to name it with a kid, you might be able to like help them identify it coming. Like, oh, the Hulk's coming. So what do I do to kind of keep him at bay? Something like that. So w- another thing I kind of wanted to talk about real quick because it it was a lot of people had a lot to say about it is this closeness to borderline 
And what do you think about that? I mean, uh, it's so funny because I had it's not that funny. <laughs> no, no, but ironic, I guess. It's funny that you bring it up. I had a patient who came in and because of her age, I was really hesitant to say borderline, but I was ha- I was having a really, really hard time differentiating. Is this borderline? Is this bipolar? Is this bipolar two? Maybe mm-hmm. uh, it was, I can so, see why that's a challenge. Well, look, you've got unstable relationships, impulsivity, mood swings, inappropriate anger, you know, like the behaviors, right? Both, both like that reckless behavior, that's both of them. So I, you know, you've got fear of abandonment with borderline. I think that the main thing with borderline is it's, it's like, it comes from life events. Usually yes, when that's you, you what know, I was thinking too. Right. I mean, it's bipolar can be affected by life events, just like schizophrenia. It can be induced by life events and environmentally, but I think it's, you're sort of predisposed to it where borderline can be created, but it's, it does lend to that thing that I was talking about early on. If, you know, you could probably treat both of these things exactly the same, you know, through therapy. It's, and a lot of it is identifying triggers, identifying early warning signs and figuring out healthy strategies to stabilize during those times. So if the, if the solution to borderline is more or less stable relationships, then maybe that has a lot to, that's a good step with bipolar. You were talking about the relationships and bipolar. You do need to have people around you who understand you and who will be okay when you're maybe doing things that are challenging your relationship. So yeah, yeah. It is about having stable relationships with understanding people. and And a stable relationship with most importantly yourself and understanding yourself. Is that too corny? I thought you were going to say with God. And I was like, wow, we went through that, that route. We haven't really been a faith-based podcast, but. Uh, Bless you. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. nothing wrong with that. That was nope, not nope. passing judgment. No, of course <laughs> nope, not. nope, nope. I mean, either way, Pascal's wager on that. We'll let, we'll let those people, we'll let our listeners look into that. Pascal um, from Pet Cemetery. Nope. <laughs> oh, different, different guy. <laughs> different guy. Yeah. What was that guy's first name? something Pascal. Now we're losing people now. Let's let's see if we have any final thoughts on on bipolar because I do have an interesting question for you. And I think this is a question that that helps people be more comfortable with the fluctuation of their emotions. Yeah. So maybe I'll ask it to you, Dave. Um if you so I know you don't believe in so try to suspend reality for a second here, Dave. Oh, I know this is the, ghosts again? Kind of. <laughs> oh, not boy. really. But you know, happy Halloween. But not not real. What I'm saying is if you, before you were born, if you were, say like there is a system where before you get placed on earth, you had a choice. Now you're either going to feel all the emotions. You're going to feel joy. You're going to feel love, but you're going to feel hate and you're going to feel fear and you're going to feel anger and you're going to feel sadness, but you're going to feel bliss. You're going to feel all the emotions and have this well-rounded experience, or you can be spared and not have any feelings at all. Like which one would you pick? Oh, I think the first one would be the answer because yeah, those moments of bliss are what we all seek. And I think every person wishes for a life where they don't have those challenging and negative moments. But if you don't have those challenging and negative moments, how, how do you ever truly experience or appreciate the bliss? Yeah, I know. So maybe that helps people say, okay, I have to take these depressive states in order to get the bliss. And maybe it makes people feel a little bit better about having this well-rounded range of emotions, hopefully, right? Because you're right. I mean, the Stoics used to talk about you should be so emotionless that 
it if you could see your child die and not feel a thing. But later on, people would say, yeah, but if if you can't feel that, then you can't feel that first hug either. Or, you know, that first time you fall in love, whatever it is, like those are the most important memories in life. That's what makes people in, people. It, it almost makes you wonder what would be the point of life if we don't feel anything, right? If, like that's, that's poetry. I know. <laughs> wow. You're, you're welcome. Yeah. <laughs> I think that, you know, lastly, I think we can say that we all feel mania and we all feel depressive states. And I think what's so hard with bipolar is because it's almost on a clock and there's no reason for it. We don't, we can't really predict it and we don't know why it's happening and it's out of nowhere. It's difficult, but I think what's important to remember is it is manageable. Yeah. You can do great things with it. People, in fact, you, it sounds like as you read that list that you have a better chance of doing great things with bipolar than without it. Richard freaking Dreyfus. It's like no risk, no reward, you know? Winston, I mean, you, Winston Churchill. Dude, that's like one of my favorite historical figures from Britain. You look like Winston Churchill. Thank you. I'll I don't take know that. What he looks I don't like. think that's a compliment. <laughs> I look like a pug. Google image. <laughs> <laughs> All right. All right. So well. I think we should wrap this up because I don't know that there's much more we can add to this. No. But maybe I next that- next week we can cover North Polar Disorder. Oh boy. You went back to that again. <laughs> Anyways. And yeah, you would. Well, anyways, I hope that this conversation was able to shed some light about what bipolar is all about. Hopefully offer some help for people who might be dealing with bipolar about things that could be helpful to treatment and everything else. And feel free to, you know, if there's something that we missed or something that we got wrong, please let us know and leave a review. But if we got something wrong, don't, don't. Well, yeah, why don't impulsively leave a review at that moment. Yeah. (laughs) So, yes, thank you, everybody, for listening. As Greg said, though, we really do appreciate our reviews and ratings. And if anybody feels compelled to leave another one, it is super helpful in helping us get this podcast more accessible to the mass audiences. But we really do appreciate the feedback we've gotten so far. It sounds like you guys are digging it, and we love that. So thank you very much, and we hope you guys have a good night. Good night.